Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight and I can promise you that this story will not disappoint. It is wild. More than three decades after 13-year-old Carrie Ann Jopek went missing after a house party, her killer would come forward to confess, saying that Carrie's ghost had been haunting him ever since that fateful day. Her disappearance and death went unsolved for 30 years until the perpetrator said that he just could not handle being haunted by her spirit any longer. What's really crazy is this case would likely have never been solved if he didn't come forward and admit to what had happened. We'll talk through who Carrie was, what happened, and all of the strange twists and turns of this case. 
Before we jump in, I just wanted to send out a reminder that our first true crime Zoom chat of 2022 is coming up soon. I think I may have misspoken on last week's episode, but the date of our chat is January 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I always get confused because here in Japan, it's technically the next day, but yeah, it's Sunday night in North America, January 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's open to everyone, and we'll be chatting about the Kylan Schultz and Crystal Turner case, along with any other cases that you want to talk about. All of the details can be found over on my Facebook group page. Just search for Serial Society True Crime Discussion Group and there will be all the information about the case as well as a link to the meeting. So I hope to see you there. All right, let's jump in. Carrie Ann Jopek was born on August 17, 1968 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She lived with her mom, Carolyn, stepfather, Fred, and her little sister, Maggie, in a very friendly, family-oriented neighborhood, with homes that were lined up right beside each other. It was one of those communities where the kids played outside with the other neighborhood kids until the streetlights would come on. Her mother described her as beautiful, artistic, and a great student at school. She also said that she was basically a good girl, but also said that if you told her to do something, she would likely do the opposite. And honestly, same. She was a bit of a rebel who didn't like to be told what to do, but she was a good girl at heart, which is what really matters. Despite the fact that Carrie was quite hard-headed, she was really close with her mother, although it did sometimes cause issues with her stepfather, who was the disciplinarian of the home. On March 16, 1982, Carrie was 13 years old and attended Kosciuszko Middle School as a 7th grader. That day, her defiance got her into a little bit of trouble at school and she was suspended. Now, I've heard two different versions of why she may have been suspended that day. One story says that it was for walking the halls without a hall pass, which seems a little bit harsh to me, but I don't know, maybe things were different back then. The other story is that a boy threw paint on her, and so she hit him for it. Either way, she was sent home at approximately 1.30pm to spend the rest of the afternoon at her house, which was only a short walk down the road. Her mother Carolyn would later say that it's quite possible that Carrie got herself suspended on purpose that day because she had bigger plans. Those plans included a party at her best friend Robin Mance house. Robin lived across the street from Carrie, so instead of bothering to go home, Carrie went directly to Robin's for the party. She would never return home to her mother and stepfather's house again. Now, her parents weren't immediately concerned that she hadn't returned that day, but her mother started to worry when the day started to turn to night and Carrie still had not returned home. So, she walked across the street to Robin's house to see if maybe Carrie was there. There were several other kids at Robin's house, but they all told Carolyn that they hadn't seen Carrie. She called her other friends, and none of them knew where she was either. It wouldn't be until much later that Carolyn would discover that Carrie had gone to a party at Robin's house that day. At around 11 p.m. that evening, the neighborhood gets together to walk the streets and look for Carrie, thinking that she must just be at a friend's house, but they had no luck in finding her. 
The following day, Carolyn reports her daughter missing to the police, but as we often hear, they didn't really think too much of it or take it too seriously because Carrie was a young, defiant teenager. They assumed that she had likely ran away or was staying with a friend. Maybe she was afraid to come home because of the repercussions she would be facing after getting suspended from school. After all, her father Fred would have been furious. But they did decide to check with Carrie's biological father who lived nearby. Even though he was no longer with Carrie's mother, Carolyn, he still kept in close contact with Carrie. However, he said that he had been at work the whole day and he hadn't seen or heard from Carrie. They interviewed friends, family, neighbors, and no one had any information to offer. Thankfully, the media did pick up the story and Carrie's photo would be on the front page of the local newspaper, along with hundreds of missing persons posters put up around the city. Her family was firm that something must have happened to her. Yes, Carrie was known to be a bit rebellious, but she wouldn't be gone for such an extended length of time without letting her mother know. And with all of this media attention came a ton of tips. People across the city reported seeing Carrie at different times in different locations. While it gave the family hope that Carrie was still alive and still out there somewhere, the police were not able to confirm any of these sightings. Milwaukee at the time was considered to be a very safe place, so police didn't really think that they were looking for an abductor or a killer. They did, however, take a close look at her family, in particular, her stepfather, Fred. Remember, the two did not always get along. They would fight a lot because Carrie was defiant. Fred had only been in her life for the last four years, so she didn't think that she had to listen to him like she would a father. And Fred, he would get frustrated over the fact that Carrie did not abide by his rules or really seem to respect him. One thing that really caught the attention of the police was the fresh concrete patio that Fred had just laid in their yard. They believed that maybe he was trying to hide something, a body perhaps. Of course, Fred denied doing anything to hurt Carrie, but investigators decided to use ground-penetrating equipment on the patio to see if they could find any sort of disturbances or anything that looked suspicious. I've heard of police using these tools in more recent cases, but wow, I had no idea that this kind of technology existed in the 60s. Either way, with Fred denying the accusations and the investigators finding absolutely nothing suspicious under that concrete patio, he was pretty much ruled out as a suspect. Another person in Carrie Ann's life that they took a closer look at was a boy named Johnny Mant, who was the older brother of Robin Mant. Carrie spent a lot of time at Robin's house. The two were best friends, and they literally lived right across the street from one another. Johnny Mant was 17 years old at the time and also lived in the family home, and Carrie had mentioned to her mother recently that Johnny was starting to show interest in her and was maybe trying to get with her. Johnny was known to be a bit of a troublemaker himself. He'd been in trouble with the law for petty crime, and reportedly, he was the guy that the younger girls went to if they were looking for drugs or alcohol. But the police interviewed Johnny, and he maintained that he had not seen Carrie at all. He said on the day that she disappeared, he was home all day by himself, and police didn't have anything to connect him to her disappearance, so they couldn't really dig any further or hold him any longer. 
A year and a half would go by with no answers as to what happened to Carrie Ann. And then, in September of 1983, there would be a grisly discovery. Across the street from Carrie's family home, there were renovations happening at the Mant House. One of the bigger projects involved renovating the deck at the back of the house. A contractor was called in to do the work, and he tore down the old deck and began to level the ground in order to build a new deck. As soon as he started digging into the ground, he smelled something absolutely foul. It was a badly decomposing body, basically a skeleton, curled up in a fetal position. Robin's older brother Johnny was there when the body was found, and he began crying, visibly shaken, and he threw up. Many other people were also around because this was a big discovery, and they saw Johnny do this and thought that this could be a sign of guilt. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, 
I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. News spread fast through the neighborhood of the discovery, and everyone, including Carrie Ann's mother, ran across the road to the back of the yard where the skeletal remains were found. Police arrived on scene quickly and cordoned off the scene so that they could retrieve the body and preserve any evidence. Carolyn knew right away in her gut that this had to be her daughter, Carrie Ann. And four days later, this would be confirmed through dental records. Carrie Ann was found buried in the clothing she was last seen in, and according to the autopsy, she had died as a result of bleeding inside her skull from head and neck injuries. But her body, it was so badly decomposed that it couldn't be determined what had been used to injure her head or if she had been sexually assaulted. As you can imagine, the heat went right back on Johnny Mant since Carrie's body had been found under the porch of the house that he lived in. Police brought him in for questioning once again, but without evidence to connect him to the murder, the police had to let him go. Still, the neighbors begin talking. This is a small community and many wonder how Carrie's body could have been buried under the Mant house for so long without anyone knowing. Wouldn't it smell? Wouldn't they see something? It was a really shallow grave. And this is when people began to talk about that party that had happened at that home the night that Carrie Ann went missing, speculating that maybe Johnny had killed her at this party. This was the first time that police had heard anything about a party, but it opened them up to a new theory and new suspects to speak to. Now Johnny, he was adamant that there was no party at his house, and they couldn't find anyone to say that yes, there was a party, and yes, they were there. Everything was just sort of rumored. So they were stuck again on this party theory. But then came a break, a new lead to look at. Someone in the neighborhood reported to police that they had seen a young man at the Mant house a few days after Carrie's body had been found. He was seen standing beside the hole on the ground where the body was, and he appeared to be crying and raising his hands up, which seemed suspicious to the person who saw, so they called police immediately to let them know. The young man would be identified as Jose Ferreira, a 17-year-old boy who lived just a few houses down from the Mount House. Police brought him in for questioning, and he claimed to have known Carrie, and he said that he was there just because he wanted to pay his respects. He was sad to hear of her passing, and he wanted to say goodbye. Right off the bat, I can understand how this could be a reasonable answer, and so he was released. Again, there was nothing to connect him to Carrie, and he also denied knowing of any kind of party that had taken place. 
police didn't really have any solid leads or any evidence to point them to a suspect. There were a lot of rumors and ideas and speculation, but they had nothing concrete. There was pretty much no evidence found at the scene where Carrie's body was discovered. And so time carried on, and the case went cold. Surprisingly, Carrie Ann's mother, Carolyn, decided to stay in their home. Personally, if it was me, I would want to get as far away from that place as possible. I can't imagine seeing the spot that my daughter was buried in every single day. It would just kill me. But she decided to stay. And while Carrie Ann's friends would occasionally stop by to visit every once in a while, they would grow up and move away from the neighborhood and start lives of their own. One friend did, however, keep in touch with the family and would visit them often. Jose Ferreira, the boy who had been seen by the hole that Carrie was buried in, crying with his hands up. He would stop by and chat with Carrie Ann's parents in their kitchen, trying to comfort them, and apparently they became very close with him. He would come to the family functions and parties, and Carolyn felt like it was a nice connection to have, to be close to someone who knew and cared for Carrie too. Yet still, the case would go cold for 33 years. And then, in the early morning hours of October 11, 2015, a call would come in to the Milwaukee news station WISN 12. A man was on the line saying that he wanted to confess to a murder. While he didn't want to reveal his identity, he said that he wanted to confess to killing Carrie Ann Jopek and how he did it. The reporter let him speak, writing down all of the details, and when he hung up, he knew he had to bring this information directly to the police. The man who had called into the news station was none other than Jose Ferreira, and this was the third time this day he had given this very confession. First, Jose had called his wife, who was in the process of divorcing him, and told her that he had met Carrie Ann Jopek at a party and he had killed her. His wife immediately went to the West Milwaukee police station and told them about Jose's confession. Then Jose called a crisis hotline counselor and told her the story of how he had killed Carrie Ann and then buried her under the porch of the man's home. On this call, he also told the counselor that he wasn't sure if he wanted to, quote-unquote, go out in a blaze of glory or in silence, but he did want it to be on the news, so that's when he had called the news station. Two days later, Jose Ferreira turned himself in to police, which I thought was pretty interesting. I'm going to assume that the police didn't immediately go and pick him up because this was a really old file. It was over 30 years old. And so they weren't immediately familiar with it, and they likely had to actually look into the details before making an arrest. But once in police custody, Jose laid out exactly what had happened, according to him, of course, because as we know, Carrie Ann can't speak for herself. According to Jose, he met Carrie Ann for the very first time at the Mant House party. Of course, there were no parents at the home at the time, they were all at work. Jose was under the influence of both alcohol and drugs. He said he saw Carrie and he liked her. They began chatting and he offered her a joint, which she took. Then he asked Carrie if she wanted to go down to the basement with him, and at first she agreed. The basement was kind of known as the makeout area. 
But once they started to walk down the stairs, Carrie Ann changed her mind. She didn't want to go, and she said to him, I don't know if this is a good idea, to which he replied, you are going downstairs. This is when he pushed her and forced her down the stairs where she fell. He said he walked down the stairs, stood over Carrie, and pulled her fully onto the floor so that she was lying flat on her back. According to Jose, he said that he thought that she was just knocked out and he saw this as a opportunity. He told Carrie, you are such a beautiful girl. And then he proceeded to sexually assault her, not realizing that she had actually broken her neck in the fall and she had other internal injuries from being pushed on the stairs. He didn't realize at the time, but she was dead. According to Jose, when he realized it, he panicked, and at first he thought that maybe he would just run and act like nothing had happened. But there were other people at the party who had seen him with Carrie. So he dragged her body through the basement to an exterior cellar door outside, and he buried her in a shallow grave under the porch of the Mant house. Because Carrie had this long, beautiful hair, he said that he could still see some of her hair sticking out of the ground, and so he would have to go back later to try to cover her with more dirt. Now, it's insane to me that no one supposedly saw him burying her, but Jose said that everyone was just still inside partying. He also claimed that he did this completely alone. No one else helped him, which again, I'm not completely convinced of, especially since no one would even admit that there was ever a party. What were they hiding? It had to go beyond just not wanting to get in trouble for being at a party. And in fact, Jose's lawyers tried to set up a different scenario to keep their client out of jail, even though he had just confessed to everything. They posed the theory that it was actually Johnny Mant who had killed Carrie Ann. Remember, Johnny was Robin's older brother and Robin was Carrie's best friend. This whole party scenario happened at their house and neither of them said a peep about the party, even though they knew Carrie Ann was missing. A boy that Robin was dating at the time of Carrie Ann's death actually came forward and claimed that Robin told him her brother Johnny was responsible for the murder. However, Robin denied that she ever said this. She said that he made the whole story up to try to get less time for an unrelated crime he had committed. And so, this theory wouldn't be pursued any further. Because so much time had gone past, police were worried that they wouldn't be able to get a murder conviction. So, they made a deal with Jose that would see a quick trial and just seven years of prison time. He accepted and pled guilty to attempted second-degree sexual assault and false imprisonment. In court, he apologized directly to Carrie Ann's family, saying, I can't take back how it happened. Sorry from the deepest pain in my heart. Sorry. Carrie Ann's mother was horrified to learn that it was Jose who had killed her daughter because he had pretty much inserted himself into their lives over the last 30 years. Like I said, they had become pretty close with him. He would even go to family functions. So she went to visit him. She wanted to know what the hell had happened and why. She had a private conversation with him to find out more. And according to her, Jose said that it was actually Carrie Ann herself that had forced him to confess. He said that her ghost had been haunting him and he just could not escape her. 
And so Carrie Ann's mom actually credits Carrie Ann herself for solving the case, not the police. Without this confession, nothing likely would have come of it. It probably would have remained a cold case because police didn't have any evidence to connect anyone. So without this confession, Jose would have just kept on living his life and it wouldn't have gotten solved. Many people were outraged that Jose would only get seven years prison time, but Carrie's family was satisfied with the sentence. They were happy that the killer had finally been identified and was receiving at least some sort of punishment for it. To them, this meant closure. And they also knew that there was a risk of him walking free after all of this time if it had gone to trial. So at least with the plea bargain, they knew that he would have to serve those seven years. Now she can rest, said Carolyn, holding Carrie's seventh grade photo in the courtroom. Now we can all rest. And that is the story of Carrie Ann Jopak and how she kind of solved her own murder, if you believe in that sort of thing. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper. That's all one word. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on all of the cases I cover, join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Serial Napper. I post two additional Patreon-only episodes over on that page each month, so go check it out. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.